This is essential. 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 This is essential audio. Hello and welcome to the Walk Podcast. My name is David Tutman, and today we are talking about budgets. We're in budget setting season, and many will be seeing their budgets coming under pressure given the economic outlook. So what do marketers need to know about their budgets, and in particular, the relationship between what they spend and the returns on investment they can expect? We have two of the industry's best marketing evaluation consultants with us to help us work this out. We have Grace Kite, founder and economist at Magic Numbers, and we have Paul Dyson, co-founder at Accelero. So welcome to you both. Uh, And I'm going to start the discussion by talking a little bit about the sort of relationship between how much you spend and what you get back. And Grace, I know this is, uh, you've done some work around this, particularly with what you call the ARC project. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that project and, and what you've been finding so far? Sure. And I think this is a really interesting question and a really good question. Um, And just to give you a bit of context, um, there are some quite different views on on how the budget and the ROI uh, resulting from it are related. Um, So, for example, Les Burnett and Peter Field, they're always saying that if you want to maximise ROI, you would always choose to spend almost nothing. Um, And Les even says, because of this argument, that focusing on ROI when you choose your budget is like a surefire way to destroy your brand. A good good punchline there from Les. And the thing is, right, he's right. Of course he's right. I mean, it's Les Burnett. And he's right if you are thinking of one media channel at a time. And that's because the first pound that you spend or per thousand pound that you spend on a media channel is always going to be the most effective. It's going to the target, the people who are most likely to convert. And if you suspected for a minute that your media agency weren't doing this, you'd fire them. But, you know, the question that I had was, is this still the case if we consider the total budget across all media channels? Because, you know, you hear Byron Sharp say that reach is the most important thing and surely bigger media budgets reach more people. So maybe that would make them more effective per pound spent. And then you hear media agency people talk about spending enough to cut through or to get to an effective frequency where you've repeated it enough to get it remembered. And I always wondered, is that true or is is that just their sales pitch? And then, you know, the other thing, in all my years doing econometrics, telly has always come out as good value for money. But you you don't get a telly campaign if your budget's only 100k per year. You know, so, so how does all that feed in? And it's one of the questions that um, I wanted to answer using this this ARC database, and and it's called ARC ARC, uh, which stands for the Advertising Research Community, um, because there's six different econometrics agencies putting in the results of their findings, so that we can draw patterns across um, lots of different effectiveness studies outside of award winners. And actually, it was Paul here who convinced me to to, to embark on the ARC project. I kind of got this lovely email from from one of my heroes and um, in marketing effectiveness, and then felt obliged to to build a database. <laughs> um, okay, so the picture we're getting is uh, is complicated. So it's it's complicated by the different channels you're investing in and the amount you're putting in per channel, and also then by this this sense of you know it's easiest to maximize in percentage terms by actually cutting the input and uh, uh, and getting a bigger bigger percentage increase uh, as an output 
So there's a lot going on there. What did you start to find when you looked at uh, at this ARC data, this sort of pooled econometrics data, which which is, uh, I think it's UK only, isn't it? Yeah, it's UK only, and there's about 350 cases. Um, and so what we decided to do was just something really simple, which is to kind of go, let's do a chart where on the x-axis we put the annual budget that people spent and the y-axis we put return on investment and let's just have a look at what comes out. And and there was this hump shape. And and the the, the really interesting thing, which was a bit surprising to me in a way, was that the, the, the top of the hump, um, the maximum return on investment, um, came at a pretty high budget. So in the sort of 20 to 30 million pounds range. And it was pretty surprising to me that the, the, the location of the, the top of the hump was so high. But I, I kind of did believe looking at it that, that commitment matters and that the shape is right. You know, ROI should be increasing with total budget up to a point and then declining afterwards. So just let's just be really clear on that because I think that's that's a really good point because obviously we haven't got a chart in front of us. It's a podcast. <laughs> but the the return on investment in terms of the you might you call it a, a like a ratio three to one four to one five to one that increases in line with budget so the more you're spending on average in your database the more you're getting back uh up to up to a point and where roughly where does that point sort of stop where do you, do you start to see diminishing returns at a certain level yeah that's right so up to a point um you know the number of channels being used and the amount of commitment you're putting in and the effort that you're spending on creative and all of those things that increase with bigger budgets would be working to get the return on investment to to increase but then at a point there is there is no other media channel that you can add that isn't in diminishing returns and at that point the diminishing returns effect of more more budget you know um, dominates and and you see a declining overall return on investment so the hump shape and it does make sense. Right. Thank you. Um, I think there's quite a lot to unpack there. So I think we'll, we'll, we'll spend some time going through it. But uh, Paul, I want to come to you next because there's, a, there's another element here, which is around the size of the brand. And typically bigger brands have bigger budgets. So uh, can you just explain why the size of the brand matters as, as well as the size of the budget? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's something that um, I learned pretty much when I started working in the, in the 1980s for Millwood Brown, who are known as Cantar nowadays. Um, they invented tracking studies, which was pretty innovative at that point, where the idea was that you researched the effect of advertising and marketing week by week before the advertising was, was evaluated through pre and post studies. But one of the, one of the um, outputs on that tracking study was something called an image grid, where we would show respondents a list of brands and we'd say, which of these brands do you think are popular nowadays? Which ones are good value? Which ones? And you'd end up with a grid of 10 or 15 brands by 10 or 15 image statements, lots of percentages. And you'd see, you know, which brand gets the highest on good value? Oh, it's brand A. Which gets the highest on popular nowadays? Oh, that's brand A. And you'd see brand A getting the highest on everything because it was one of the biggest brands in the market. And people just knew more about that brand. They'd perhaps then there's more people in the market that have tried it. There may be lapsed users nowadays, but they'll know about it. They'll have seen it in stores because it's probably better distributed. It's more usually in stock, not out of stock. So all of these things led people to know more about the bigger brands and they got bigger bigger endorsements. So we had to invent a mathematical um, transformation to take out the brand size effect so that we could see what was really going on 
And even though this one brand would get the highest and everything, there were some images it was doing relatively better on than others when you took into account the size of that brand. We, we also collected advertising awareness on, on tracking studies, looking at the, the increase in awareness that a brand had been advertised during and after campaigns. And um, this awareness index became well known within the, within the industry as an indication of how effective your advertising was. It was the extra lift in awareness per 100 TV GRPs at the time. Um, and we we wanted to prove that this was correlated with sales effectiveness because obviously uh, this is just a research measure. You know, you need to be able to convince people that actually it means something in terms of sales. So we started to do econometric modeling at Millbram, one of the first agencies to do it back in 85. First client was Weetabix. Second client was National Gyro Bank, which nobody would have heard of. It was the bank of the post office back in the 80s, uh, long since departed. Um, and um, over the years, we built up quite a good database of ROIs, and we could match them back to the awareness indices. And at first, we couldn't really see a correlation. Um, some brands got really low awareness indices, but really high ROIs. And some brands got high awareness indices and low ROIs. And it was only when we realized that the bigger brands were getting the better ROIs that we needed to apply that similar sort of adjustment that we did to the image grids to take out the brand size effect. Uh, and when we did that, we we're seeing a correlation of over 70% between how good an ad is at getting you to remember what brand has been advertised from the awareness index and its ultimate in-store ROI, what, what are the sales payback, pounds back in revenue for every pound you spend on media. Uh, and that's really when I understood the importance of, of, of brand size. Let's just, let's just be really clear on that then. So bigger brands, and by bigger brands, we just mean in terms of what revenue, sales revenue, that that sort of thing. Bigger well, at first we sorry, yeah. At first we thought it was just the biggest brands in the category got the best re, the best return. But then we started to realise, looking at the data in more depth, that it's it's the absolute size of the brand that matters. Um, so, uh, for instance, um, you know, if you look, I saw a report on the top hundred FMCG CPG brands in the UK. Um, top was Cadbury, followed by Coca Cola, Nestle, and Walkers all turning over about one to one and a half billion pounds worth of revenue per year. But then when you get out of the top 20, you know, the revenue tails off rapidly and um, 80% of the brands are only turning over between 100 and 200 million a year, so relatively small um, in that category. Then if you compare that to the retail sector, uh, Tesco's turnover is 56 billion, apparently, you know, um, for the most recent financial year. That's 564 times bigger than a small FMCG brand. And, you know, even the smallest retailer in the UK, or one of the smallest ones, Nisa, they're turning over 1.5 billion a year, you know, which is still 14, 15 times bigger than a small FMCG brand. So even though you've got a small brand in that category, it's still a massive brand compared to FMCG. Um, you know, in finance, HSBC turnover 37 billion. In, in automotive, BMW turnover Four billion Ford turnover about nine billion a year in the UK. So these are all really big brands in terms of their turnover. And um, the reason it matters is because if you ask an econometrician, you know, what, what's a typical media campaign, five, 10 million media campaign return, they might say, well, 3% extra sales or 5% extra sales, maybe 10% if it's a really strong, uh, strong creative. And if that's the case, you know, 5% extra sales for Tesco is an extra 2.8 billion sales for that 10 million campaign, whereas 5% for a small FMCG is an extra 5 million sales for that 10 million campaign. 
So it really matters the size of the brand. The media does tend to work in that sort of percentage way. It is relative to to the size of your brand. And we see that for seasonal brands, they get a bigger response in those times of the year when they're more seasonal, um, people are more focused, more interested in the brand. So, you know, there's a definite percentage sort of uplift effect to, to brands. And that's how most effectiveness or market measurement companies measure um, advertising nowadays. Okay, let's be uh, really clear on that then. So the bigger the brand is, just in absolute terms, the, the um, sales revenue per year, the bigger it is in those terms, the bigger a return it's going to get from its advertising and media investment, um, which may mean that the sort of budget implications for a, a brand, as you say, of the size of a large retailer may look very different from the budget implications of, a, of a, even a medium-sized FMCG player. So we've got that on one side, that, that absolute importance of just the simple size of the brand. And then we've got Grace's findings on the uh, on the other hand, which is uh, that the bigger budgets up to a point tend to tend to get higher returns on investment. And I guess the, the the obvious question, if you're not in a massive brand, is how how do you ever compete in this in this landscape, which seems on average to favour big players staying big. Yeah, I think that's um I think that's really really interesting because um you know um big players you know isn't it isn't a, a level playing field so if you're big you're going to get a higher return on investment and that's going to tend to make you bigger still and then make you get an even higher return on investment and 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 on it goes and and the smaller players get left behind. Um so I I do think that that that's a very good question. But I also think um that it's an important one because actually I think you know um the answer for smaller brands can actually be quite different to how big brands grow. And one thing I know, because, you know, we work at Magic Numbers with lots of online scale-ups, is that if you're small and you've got a good product, just announcing that you exist can bring lots of good growth for a long time. And, you know, even if the only way that you announce that you exist is via a text ad on a search page or a very simple picture ad on Facebook, you know, I've seen a lot of brands that have had a lot of good year-on-year growth figures just on that mix alone. And actually, it's one of the reasons I think, you know, way back at the beginning of ARC, um, one of the things we talked about, Paul, wasn't it, about how we think so much of, about so much of our learning is taken from the IPA data bank. Mm-hmm. But actually, a lot of those those um, businesses in there are big, big businesses with big budgets. And, you know, what what, do, what does this all this stuff look like um, for smaller brands is, is, is a really important question. And for example, does emotion really matter mm-hmm. there? I, I don't know. Paul, what do you think? If you're a if 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 you're a smaller brand setting a budget and setting objectives, what's uh, what's the message to them? Yeah, I mean, there's some good work on share of voice versus share of market, which sort of says you know you should be spending in terms of your media budget uh, a share across the category similar to the share of market you have, and and you can only really grow if you spend above that. So, like you said, David, it is it is quite difficult for the small brands to to compete, to have to spend, you know, much larger budgets. Um, but small brands will grow through marketing um, if, you, if you do enough. And if you grow, your ROI goes up. So they may have to be prepared initially to um, accept, you know, negative ROIs, getting back less than you put in. Um, but um, over time, you know, if you're committed and, and you continue to invest um, over a number of years, you will hopefully see the brand grow and, and that means the ROI will grow and you'll get to a point where your, your payback is positive. Um, 
So, you know, it, it, it's a case of, of, of trusting your approach and your strategy and, and, and sticking with it, definitely. And presumably maximising every other lever you can find, whether that's that's yeah, sure. packaging or, or distribution or, or, or and, or, because there's still a lot of growth potential in those areas, presumably, if, if you are that small. Yeah, definitely. Um, yes. And I, and I think if you look at channel choice, I mean, some of the channels particularly digital ones, they, they produce quite steep responses quite quickly, but they tend to saturate more quickly than the traditional channels like TV or, or out of home. So they can be good um, areas to invest if you've only got a relatively small budget because you'll get a better return uh, at that level. Um, and then once your budget grows, um, you know, you can, you can look to push more into some of the bigger, broader reach channels. Um, so yeah, channel choice, that's important. Um, obviously, quality of creative is, is a really important factor, you know, and even if you're a small brand uh, with a good creative, you can get, you know, really good returns. Um, so that, that's all possible. Just focusing on the right thing, like you say. Both of you have used the term separately commitment and uh i guess what that reminds me of is um the piece of work walk did with uh, james herman uh, a couple of years ago we've we've repeated it uh, a few times in different contexts but it's this this idea that there's a there's a, a creative commitment that so you have to sort of back your creativity with with budget yes but also keep the keep things in market long enough spread them across channels and it's it's a sort of rule of thumb it's it's um you know, compared with some of the econometric analyses we're talking about, it's it's a sort of uh, rough and ready way to think about it. But it, I guess we've always found it quite useful as a way of explaining uh, how you support creativity to to absolutely optimize or give it the best chance of success. So, Grace, are you finding that this is the message that's coming through in 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 the data you're looking at? This this sort of group of uh, econometrics uh, providers pooling their data together. Yep. It's a short answer to that one. Yes. Um, and I, I love James's work on it. I think he's ace. And, um, you know, we, we find the same same things, you know, we, we find um, you, you, you need to spend enough. Remember, I said the, the, the optimum ROI was at quite a high budget. Um, and, um, you know, you do need to, 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 to use lots of channels. And, and, and if you plot using the ARC data, number of channels versus ROI, the, the optimum there is quite a lot of channels. And you know that makes sense. Um, nowadays, you can't get me with a TV ad in Midsummer Murders, although you used to be able to before. You know, on-demand TV, um, or and to get me online, you've got to advertise in the FT. And I know that's not going to reach you know that many of the other housewives with children out there. <laughs> um, but you know, fragmentation is real. You you do need a lot of of channels and a lot of coordination, um, and that takes a lot of effort, not just in terms of of money, but in terms of teams that have to be put on it and. People just don't do all that stuff when when the budget is is, is small. So you know, um, all of those things come together into this this idea of of commitment. And um, you know, we we've taken taken a look at the ARC data about about what's the optimum budget, even um, given um, a um, correction for the size of the of the advertiser for turnover. Remember we were saying higher turnover brands just get a higher ROI, but, but what's the optimum budget versus return on investment, even given a particular, particular size of, of company. And actually it's more than most people spend. Um, so, you know, 
Um, if your turnover is less than 40 million, I guess it, it's around the five five million mark in budget is where the optimum is. And, you know, where the turnover was 40 to 100 million, it was nearer to the 10 million um, spend. And if your turnover was 100 million, the peak was at that 20 to 30 million spend. And all of that, that's that's those are big, big budget. It's bigger than we see day to day, and and bigger than most of the most of the advertisers in Arc spend. So, you know, I think there genuinely is a, a situation where people could be committing more to their campaigns um, than they actually do. So that's really interesting, particularly in the current climate uh, as well, where we, you know we are we are going to be seeing people or budgets go under pressure, people having to make tough choices, and actually. It, there's a lot of people who are already underspending versus what we might think is the is the optimum. Um, so, I mean, there's an opportunity here, isn't there? I mean, there's an opportunity for those people for, who are able to convince the CFO and do all the things they need to do. There's an opportunity to to commit a bit more in a market which is going the other way and actually reap quite quite large benefits. It's quite hard to say that to the CFO, though, isn't it? When when revenues are on the way down because of oh uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. spending. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's a big challenge, admittedly, yeah. but uh, but in theory, the opportunity is there. Um, Paul, you mentioned media choice and how different media uh, uh, function in different ways uh, a, a little bit earlier. Where does that come in? Because we, we're talking about budgets as a sort of overall budget size and and that how that matters within that sort of envelope. How important is the media you then go and select? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is it is important, definitely, and and how you allocate it. Um, mathematically, you know, you don't want to saturate all your budget into one channel because, uh, you know, as we've discussed, you get diminishing returns. So spreading it across channels helps you avoid that. Um, it helps you to get more reach, typically, because you're you know trying to, to trying to get to all the different areas that you might that your consumers or future consumers might might be contactable in. Um, but it's a case of when you're setting your optimum budget, you're also at the same time looking at the optimum allocation between the channels. Now, that can be based on historically how well your brand has responded to investment in those channels through through a measurement project, you know, market mix modeling, um, or you can use benchmark curves to do that. And um, I mean, we have an optimizer that, that takes average curves, and we were looking at how you would allocate budgets for different brands of different sizes in different categories. And, you know, very similar to what Grace was saying, we find that it, it recommending 5 to 10% of turnover to be invested in budgets typically um, as a good starting point. That's really powerful, don't you think, that these two different data sources um, come up with the same kind of ratio of, of advertising to, 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 to sales ratio, sort of 5 to 10%. They're very in line with each other. I think that's, that's, that's really, that, that's quite exciting that, that there's something that comes out there that, that that's, that's robust across all of these different different studies and this different thinking a, a rule of thumb that you could you could work to yeah and it's a good way of just sort of benchmarking whether or not you're uh you're 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 near that zone or not mm-hmm. yeah so um we find when we run it through through the through the optimizer that for for most brands uh, the optimum budget is around five to ten percent of turnover so you know, if you're a hundred million a year brand, then you should be spending sort of five to ten million. Now this curve tends to flatten off at the top quite a bit. So there's a range, you know, maybe seven to twelve percent where it's fairly flat. But you know, it's that sort of that sort of area. And uh, there's been a report out recently from Nielsen which says that according to their data, brands tend to spend about three point eight four percent of their turnover on advertising. So 
on that basis, if we're seeing it in the five to 10 range, it would suggest that the majority of brands are under under investing in terms of their in terms of their media budgets, definitely. Uh, and in terms of the the media choice, I, I guess one of the really interesting developments over the last couple of years has been, I mean, I don't know exactly what you call them, these fast growth brands. Some of them are direct to consumer, some of them are e-commerce uh, based, but um, these sort of digital brands moving into into television, um, we've seen that in VAB data from the from the US. We've seen that in Thinkbox data from the from the UK. Are there any sort of guidelines around when to introduce TV, when to to take that step into TV, which comes out of a much bigger price tag, but generally uh, or traditionally delivers uh, broader audiences very quickly? At what point in the sort of budget curve that you mentioned grace does does tv become a become a possibility well actually we we looked i looked at this in arc um and um actually advertisers of 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 many different sizes spend sort of ballpark 50 to 70 percent of their of their budget on on tv and it's only our, our very lowest category in terms of budget that spend that doesn't do that so up to about up to about two two and a half million um, and anyone above that is really spending something is really is really going on TV, according to Arc. And I, I think that, that that's um, partly because of historical historically we've seen TV historically been brilliant. And, um, you know, people like Thinkbox and VAP do their job very well. Um, I, I do wonder about telly at the moment, if I'm honest, um, because, you know, TV isn't always the best thing for in every situation. It's not always appropriate for every advertiser. And um particularly at this point in time, effectiveness in TV actually probably is decline, declining a little. TV's um, losing audience and, and costs per TVR have been going up massively precisely because of those on, so those like online scale-ups that you were talking about have been coming in and bidding up the cost of it. I hear that spots in January are slightly down again, but you know it's been very expensive to be on telly, telly this year. So uh, I think that's really one to watch actually is, is what's happening to telly as this sort of bulwark or kind of um, something we always choose um, in media in media um, allocations. Paul, how how does TV fit in into the sort of optimizer and the models you've you've been producing? Yeah, I mean it, it's often the, the different channel because it's it's a more expensive channel to get into. You know, you have to spend a decent amount of money to get a reasonable amount of reach. So the curves tend to build very slowly and saturate very slowly. So you can spend an awful lot on TV. You know, and if you have a really large budget. You'll, you'll max out on some of the digital channels first and TV will be the main channel that's left for you to, to, to continue to spend money in without, you know, without uh, realising too many steep diminishing returns. But um, there's also a trend into the digital variants like broadcaster, video on demand. So although the TV viewing is going down, it is being compensated to an extent by increased viewing um, in, in playback and, and um, streaming services. Um, obviously, some of those are free. Where don't have any advertising. Sorry, ad-free, so don't have any advertising. But yeah, um, definitely there is a change in that area in terms of its effectiveness. But yeah, we are seeing strong ROIs in 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 some of the uh, the BVOD or online video or even the YouTube YouTube advertising, which you could say is a you know an alternative to TV uh, in in some cases. Okay, so I'd like to sort of spend a little bit of time looking at 
consumer packaged goods or, or FMCG um, as as this is sort of the marketing heartlands, I guess. And uh, Paul, you've already referenced that that Nielsen report that suggests that there's actually a lot of underspending going on. Is that true in packaged goods, which which traditionally has has been a uh, as a really significant investor in marketing and 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 really is as is a category that's built off the back of um media and advertising investment so uh, is this category underspending as well um yes i i would say it is uh, again you know when we work with uh, clients in this area and um we look to find the optimum budget it's typically higher than their current spend levels again it will be in that 5 to 10% range of turnover where they're typically at the 3 to 4% range again it 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 it's partly driven by the fact that, as I said earlier, FMCG brands are, are relatively small. And, you know, there's been numerous studies published that show the average ROI for FMCG brands, you know, is around a half. So you get 50p back for every pound you spend. Um, you know, some people have erroneously linked this to a half my advertising is working quote, which has got to be wrong because that was back in the 1930s before marketing measurements even happened. But it does suggest that you get half back uh, from what from what you put in, but um, and this sort of relates back to your um, question about commitment. You know, there's a long-term effect to advertising, which often isn't measured directly by uh, marketing mix projects, and you know that can often be two or three times um, the short-term effect, which you know turns a, a 0.5 ROI into a 2.0 ROI and, and and much more successful. And the thing about commitment is you that's only a small um, small step, you know, uh, each week in the long term. You need two or three years of doing that for you to start to see that impact on your brand. So you need that commitment because it's a slow building process. Um, I guess that fact that ROIs can be relatively low in FMCG because the brands are relatively small uh, can make it harder to find the budgets to to invest um, at sort of the optimum level, particularly if, you know, you're looking at uh, a 10 million spend from 100 million revenue. Um, it's 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 quite a big commitment, uh, commitment to make. And um, it's interesting. The there was the Free Economics podcast uh, last year uh, on the paper by Shapiro and and others that looked at uh, or came out with a headline. You know, most advertising isn't profitable, which was certainly true of the cases they looked at. But they looked at purely CPG cases. CPG or FMCG is where the best data has has been and has always been. Uh, for many years with, with you know, with uh, scanned data tapes from retailers. Um, and I think it wasn't a surprise to many of us in the industry that um, the FMCG ROIs that they found were less than one, you know, on average. There were a few that achieved higher than that. Um, it's a brand sizing again. You know, we come back to this this brand size effect. Um, if you're in a small or category where your turnover is relatively small in an absolute sense, then then, you know, it's going to be difficult. But you know, our figures suggest that by the time you're getting up to a 150, 200 million a year brand, your ROIs should on average be breaking even, that sort of level. Um, it's only the really small brands that will find it difficult to to to, to break even um, initially. Um, there's not too much they've got to do in terms of growth to get to that point where where payback is 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 good and positive. And as I said before, you know, with a really strong creative and very effective media planning, choosing the right channels, laying it down correctly across time. You know, all of these things can add to your ROI and, and, make, and make your media budgets more effective. Great. Thank you. And, and Grace, what does the ARC data tell us about um, packaged goods uh, budgets in particular? 
it's it's very much in line actually with what Paul was just saying. Um, you know, in ARC, about thirty percent of FMCG spend less than a million quid, um, and another twenty percent at the other end spend more than three million quid. But the vast majority in that one to three million bucket. Um, but actually, you know, ROI um, within FMCG stays about the same um, all the way up to about sort of eight million. So that does mean that yes, you know, the ARC data says FMCGs could be could be spending more. Um, and one thing I really worry about, which I think is really important in this current climate where everybody's putting prices up because of cost of energy and Ukraine war and you know all that and everything that's going on, um, is is that actually um, brands are by underestimate under investing also you know losing the their the, their stock of customers that are willing to pay a price premium for a branded product and i think that's 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 a real worry particularly the, the latest kantar data is just showing that um you know people everywhere all the other housewives with children are, are just swift, switching out of you know branded products into own label ones because their, their budget's just not going far enough their their weekly weekly spending budget in, in the shop is just not going as far so it's a worry i think Right, thank you. So just to conclude, because we've talked we've talked about Lesbinet in this podcast, we've talked about sort of long-term uh, payback and price premiums and those sort of things. I just want to just spend a little bit of time talking about how the sort of the, the thinking, this is a relationship between brand size and budget and return on investment, and then also the, the, the sort of uh, benchmarks you've been talking about in terms of marketing spend. How do these sort of play into some of the other frameworks and mental models we have in the industry? So long-term versus short-term, we, we've, we've sort of touched on that a little bit. Uh, then you've got things like mental and available, uh, mental and physical availability. Uh, it's always a, always a mouthful saying that one. Uh, but mental and physical availability from the Ehrenberg Bass Institute, and there, and there are plenty of others as well. But just want to, because we're, we're all very good in this industry at having our own little pet theories. I just want to see how this fits in with these these other frameworks. So, uh, Paul, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, I mean, um, it's interesting around the idea of um, always on reach. I think that's quite an interesting concept. Um, and mathematically, because, you know, we, we, we understand that the effect of spending more on a on advertising causes diminishing returns. Mathematically, it's better to spread it out as far as you can to minimize that diminishing returns. So, you know, you would take your annual budget and divide it by 52 and spend that amount per week. Mathematically, that would give you the best return in theory. Uh, but what happens is that brands, you know, the, uh, the effectiveness of advertising can vary across a year for a brand. Um, you know, a seasonal brand that sells more at certain times of the year will have a better advertising response in those periods than at other times of the year. So that would suggest you should clump up your advertising into the seasonal periods. And um, some channels like TV cost different amounts at different times of the year. So you can get more uh, more GLPs for your money in, in some months than in other months. So that again would say it might be worth squashing money into a cheap August, you know, um, even at the end of, the, of August, if your sales go up in September, because you'll get that memory carryover into, into the following months. So um, feels like some a sort of a mix between burst advertising, which is the traditional approach, and flat continuity across the whole year, um, which clumps the advertising around those periods when it's more responsive. 
um, is you know is a is a is a good way forwards, and that tends to to improve the effectiveness of your media budget by by taking those things into account. Um, so that's one of the areas I think where uh, you know the current trends or the current um, frameworks that we have may be extreme, but you end up choosing somewhere in between the two. Yeah, I mean, I guess um, if you want to be always on with a lot of reach, then you do need a big budget, doesn't don't you? So I guess that is tying us back in. And and I guess the other thing that I wanted to to just add is that. Um, you know, another thing that you need uh, a big budget for is to be able to do both the long and the short of it. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think, um, you know, Tom Roach came up recently with this idea that um, Les and Peter's work on the long and the short had, had actually, you know, it's actually very helpful, to, but the debate has tended to polarise people into thinking that one or the other is most important. But actually, you do need both. And he talks about bothism. And I, I think actually that fits quite nicely with the idea that, you know, you, your return goes up with bigger budgets um, because you get an ability to do more in different things, you know, long and short, um, you know, uh, direct and, and brand, you know, and, and more both. Great. Thank you, Grace. And thank you, Paul. Really fascinating discussion there. Lots of interesting tips. And of course, if you if you do want to know more about budgeting or any of the topics uh, that we talked about today, there is plenty more on Walk. We'll be back next time with more on the Walk podcast. Please do, if you do not already, uh, subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcasting platform. Until next time, thanks for listening.